Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I'm a search and rescue officer for the US Forest Service and I have some stories to tell. Part 2 by Search and Rescue Woods. So firstly, I'd like to answer some questions that you all had. So, I'm not comfortable talking about where exactly I work, unfortunately. In all reality, some of the things I've mentioned here could get me in a lot of trouble or fired, so it's best if I just don't discuss too much. I'll say that I'm in the United States though and in an area that is comprised of a great deal of wilderness. We're talking hundreds of miles of thick forest with a mountain range and a few lakes. There's still a great amount of interest in the stairs and luckily for you guys, my friend has a story that I think you'll all be very interested in. I'll go into that more at the end of this update. As for whether or not I've ever thought about asking my superiors about them, I have, but again, I don't want to risk my job. However, one of my former superiors no longer works as an SAR officer and it's possible that he may be willing to talk to me about it. I'll be speaking to him later this week and I'll let you know what comes of that. As far as advice on becoming an SAR officer goes, I think the best advice I can give is to contact your local forest service office and see if they offer any training courses or what the qualifications are. I've been doing this for years and I started out as a volunteer, just helping on SAR operations and whatnot. It's a great job, despite the occasional tragic situations of course, and I really just wouldn't want to do anything else now. Alright, so let's move on to the stories now. The first happened on a case that I went out on right after I got out of training, and was still pretty new to everything. 
before I took this job, I was a volunteer, as I mentioned, so I had a basic idea of what to expect, but on those calls you're mostly dealing with finding lost people after vets have found signs of them and stuff. As an SAR officer, you go out for all kinds of cases, from animal bites to heart attacks, and this case got called in early in the morning from a young couple who were up on one of the trails that goes by the lake. The husband was completely hysterical, and we couldn't really figure out what was going on. We could hear the woman screaming in the background, and he was begging us to come up there right away. When we get there, we see him holding his wife, and she's got something in her arms. She's screaming these awful, almost animal-like screams, and he's sobbing. He sees us, and he screams at us to help them, to please get an ambulance up there. Now, obviously, we can't just drive an ambulance up to the walking path, so we ask him if his wife needs help, or if she can walk on her own. He's still hysterical, but he manages to tell us that it's not his wife that needs help. I go over while one of the vets tries to calm him down, and I ask the wife what's going on. And she's rocking and holding something and just shrieking over and over. I crouch down and see that whatever she's holding, it's covering her with blood. That's when I notice the sling on her front and my heart sinks. I ask her to tell me what's going on and I sort of pry her arms gently open so I can see what she's holding and it's her baby, obviously dead now too. His head is caved in on one side and he's covered in scratches. Now. I've seen dead bodies before, but something about this whole situation just hit me really hard. I have to take a second to compose myself, in fact, and I get up and go out to one of the other vets who's standing by, and I tell him that it's a dead kid, and he sort of pats my shoulder and tells me that he'll deal with it. It took us over an hour to get this woman to let us see her kid. Every time we try to take him from her, she flips out and tells us that we can't have him, that he'll be okay if we just leave her alone and let her help him. But eventually, one of the vets manages to calm her down and she gives us the body. We took it back to the med area, but when the EMT showed up, they told us that there was never any hope of saving the kid. He died instantly from the trauma to his head. I was good buddies with one of the nurses who met them at the hospital and she told me later what had happened. Turns out, the couple had been walking with the baby in the sling and they stopped because the kid was fussing. The dad takes the kid and is holding him, looking out over this little gully by the path and the mum comes to stand next to him but she ends up stepping on a loose patch of soil and she trips. She falls into the dad who drops the kid and who ends up falling about 20 feet down this little gully into rocks at the bottom. The dad climbed down and recovered the kid, but he'd fallen right on his head and was dead by the time that he got there. The baby was only 15 months old, and it was just a, a total freak accident. A series of events that coalesced into the worst possible outcome. Probably one of the more awful calls that I've ever been on. So, I haven't seen a lot of animal bites in my time as an SAR officer mostly because there just aren't that many animals that come around the area. And while there are bears in the area, they tend to stay pretty far away from people and sightings are highly unusual. And most of the animals you'll see are small ones like coyotes, raccoons or skunks. 
What we do see frequently, though, are moose. And let me tell you, moose are nasty fuckers. They'll chase after anything for just about any reason. And God help you if you get in between a female and its baby. One of the more amusing calls that I've got was of a guy who had gotten chased down by an absolutely massive male moose and was stuck up a tree. It took us almost an hour to get him down and when he was finally on solid ground again, he looks at me and says, Shit, them fuckers are big up close. I guess that's not really that scary, but we still laugh about that one. Now, I honestly don't know how I'd forgotten this story, but it is by far the scariest thing that's happened to me here. I guess maybe I've tried so long to just forget about it that it just didn't come to my mind right away. As someone who spends literally all their time in the woods, you don't ever want to let yourself get scared of being alone or out in the middle of nowhere. That's why when you have experiences like this, you tend to just kind of forget about them and move on. But this is, to date, the only thing that's ever made me really seriously consider if this job is the right one for me. I don't really like talking about it much too, but I'll do the best I can to remember it all. As I recall, this took place right at the end of spring. It was a typical lost child call. A four-year-old girl had wandered away from her family's campsite and had been missing for about two hours. Her parents were completely despondent and told us what most parents do. My kid would never wander away. She's so good about staying close, she's never done anything like this before. We assure the parents that we'll do everything that we can to find her and we spread out in a standard search formation. I was partnered with one of my good buddies and we were sort of casually holding conversation while we hiked. I know it sounds callous, but you do sort of become desensitized when you've done this long enough. It becomes the norm and I think to a, a certain extent you have to learn to desensitize yourself in order to work this job. Anyway, we search for a good two hours going well beyond where we think she'd be and we come out to a small valley when something makes us both stop in unison. We freeze and look at each other and there's almost a sensation like a, like a plane depressurizing. My ears pop and I have this odd sensation of having dropped about 10 feet. I start to ask my buddy if he felt that, but before I can, we hear the loudest sound that I've ever heard in my life. It's almost like a freight train passing directly by us, but it's coming from every direction at once, including above and below us. He screams something to me, but... I honestly can't hear him over this deafening roar. Understandably freaked out, we look around us, trying to find the source of the sound, but neither of us see anything. Of course, my first thought is it's a landslide, but we're not near any cliffs, and even if it were, it would have hit us by now. The sound goes on and on, and we're trying to yell at each other now, but even standing close together, we can't hear anything but this sound. And then, as suddenly as it starts, it stops. Like someone threw a switch and just cut it off. We stand there for a second, perfectly still, and slowly, the normal sounds of the woods comes back. He asks me what the hell just happened, but I just kind of shrug and we stand there and just look at each other for a minute. I get on the radio and ask if anyone else just heard the end of the fucking world, but... 
no one else hears it, even though we're all within shouting distance of each other. My buddy and I just sort of shrug it off and keep going. About an hour later, we all check up on the radios and no one's found the little girl. Most of the time, we won't search when it gets dark, but because we don't have any kind of lead on her, a few of us decide to keep going, including me and my buddy. We keep close together and we're calling out for her every couple of minutes, and at this point, I'm hoping beyond hope that we find her, because while I may not like kids, the idea of them being out all alone in the dark is pretty awful. Well, the woods can be intimidating to kids in the daylight, but at night, well, it's a whole different beast. But we're not seeing any signs of her or getting any responses, and around midnight, we decide to turn around and head back to the rendezvous point. We're about halfway back when my buddy stops and shines his light to the right of us into a, a really thick deadfall or group of trees. I ask him if he heard a response, but he just tells me to be quiet a second and listen. I do, and in the distance, I can hear what sounds like a, a kid crying. We both start calling the girl's name and listen for any kind of response, but it's just this really faint crying. We head in the direction of this deadfall and go around it, calling a name over and over, and as we get closer to the crying, I start getting this weird feeling in my gut, and I tell my buddy that something just isn't right. He tells me that he feels the same way too, but we can't figure out what it is. We stop where we were and call the girl's name again, and at the same time, we both figure it out. The crying is on some sort of a, a loop. It's the same little hitching sob, and then wail, and then quiet hiccup, just repeated over and over. And it's exactly the same every time. And without saying another word, we just both take off running. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot b-u-s-t-a at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. It's the only time that I've ever lost my composure like that, but... Something about it was just so incredibly wrong, and neither of us wanted to stay out there any longer. When we got back to the rendezvous point, we asked if anyone else had heard anything strange, but no one else knew what we were talking about. I know that it all kind of sounds anticlimactic, but that call just fucked me up for a long time. As for the little girl, we never found a trace of her. We obviously keep an eye out for her for some time and all the other people who we've never found too, but frankly, I just doubt that we'll ever find anything. Of all the missing persons calls that I've ever gone out on, 
only a handful have ever resulted in complete disappearance, meaning no trace of the person and no body ever found. But sometimes, finding a body just leads to more questions than answers. So, here are some of the bodies that we found that have become infamous in our team. We once found a teenage boy whose remains were recovered almost a year after he vanished. We found the top of his skull, two finger bones, and his camera almost 45 miles from where he was last seen. The camera, sadly, was destroyed. We found a pelvis of an older man who had vanished a month earlier, and that was all we found. We found the lower jaw and right foot of a two-year-old boy in the highest peak of a ridge in the southern part of the park. We found the body of a 10-year-old girl with Down syndrome, almost 20 miles from where she'd vanished. She had died of exposure three weeks after going missing, and all of her clothes were intact except her shoes and jacket. Strangely enough, though, there were berries and cooked meat in her stomach when they did the autopsy. The coroner said that it appeared as if someone had been taking care of her, and there were just no suspects ever identified. We once found the frozen body of a one-year-old baby who we found a week after vanishing into the hollow trunk of a tree 10 miles from the area that he was last seen. There was fresh milk found in his stomach, but his tongue was gone. We also found a single vertebrae and right kneecap of a three-year-old girl. It was found in the snow, almost 20 miles from the campground that her family had been at the previous summer. Now, I want to share a couple of stories that my friend told me. I mentioned to him that you were all interested in the stairs and you're in luck. He's had a closer encounter with them. And though he doesn't have any explanation for them, he does have a bit more experience with them than I do. So my buddy has been an SAR officer for about seven years, I think. He started when he was a junior in college and he had a very similar experience when he first encountered the stairs. His trainer told him almost exactly the same thing that mine did, which was never to go near, touch, or ascend them. For the first year, he did just that, but apparently his curiosity got the better of him, and on one call, he broke away from the line and went to go check a, a set of them out. He said that they were about 10 miles from the path where a teenage girl had vanished and the dogs were following a scent. He was on his own, lagging behind the main group, when he saw a set of stairs to his left. They looked like they were from a new house because the carpeting was pristine and white. He said that as he got closer, he didn't feel any different or hear any weird noises. He was kind of expecting something to happen, like bleeding from his ears or collapsing, but he got right up next to them and didn't feel a thing. The only thing he said that was odd was that there was just absolutely no debris on the steps. No dirt, leaves, dust, or anything. And there didn't appear to be any signs of animal or insect activity in the immediate area, which obviously he found strange. It was less like things were avoiding them and more like they just happened to be in a relatively barren part of the forest. He touched the stairs and didn't feel anything except the sort of sticky feeling you get from new carpet. Making sure that his radio was on, he slowly climbed the stairs and he said that it was terrifying because the way they'd been stigmatized, he wasn't really sure what was going to happen to him. 
He joked that half of him expected to be teleported to some other dimension, and the other half was watching for a UFO to come swooping down to get him. But he got to the top with little event, and he stood there just looking around. But he said that the longer he stood on the top step, the more he felt like he was just doing something really, really wrong. He described it as the feeling you get if you're in a part of a government building that you have no business being in. As if someone was going to come and arrest you or shoot you in the back of the head at any second. He tried to brush it off, but the feeling just got stronger and stronger, and that's when he realized that he couldn't hear anything anymore. The sounds of the forest were just completely gone, and he couldn't hear his own breathing too. It was like some kind of weird and awful tinnitus, but even more oppressive. He climbed back down and rejoined the search and didn't mention what he'd done to anyone. But he said that the weirdest part came after. His trainer was waiting back at the welcome center after the search ended for the day and he cornered my buddy before he could leave. He said his trainer had this look of intense anger and he asked what was wrong and he said to my buddy you went up them didn't you and it wasn't phrased as a question he asked how the trainer knew and the trainer just shook his head and then he said because we didn't find her the dogs lost her scent my buddy asked what that had to do with anything and the trainer asked how long he'd been on the stairs and and my buddy said no more than a minute. The trainer gave him this really awful, almost dead eye look and told him that if he ever went up another set of stairs again, he'd be fired immediately. The trainer just walked away and I guess he's never answered any of the questions my buddy has asked him about it since. My friend has also been involved in a, a lot of missing persons cases where there's never been a trace of them found. I mentioned David Pollardi's and my buddy said that he can confirm that those stories are, for the most part, accurate. He said that most of the time, if the person isn't found right away, they're either never found or they're found weeks or months or years later in places that they just can't possibly have gotten to. One story that he told me really stood out and it involved a five-year-old boy with a severe mental disability. The little boy vanished from a picnic area in the late fall. In addition to the mental disability, he was also physically handicapped and his parents explained over and over that he simply could not have vanished, that it was impossible, that someone had to have taken him. My buddy said that they searched for this kid for weeks, going miles out of the accepted range, but it was like he'd just never been there. The dogs couldn't pick up his scent anywhere not even in the picnic area where he'd apparently vanished from. Suspicion fell on the parents eventually, but it was pretty clear that they were devastated and hadn't done anything sinister to their kid. The search was concluded about a month later and my buddy said that everyone had pretty much forgotten it by late that winter. He was out on a training op later in the snow on one of the higher peaks when he came across something in the snow he said that he saw it far away at first, and when he got closer, he realized that it was a shirt. 
were frozen and sticking partway out of the powder, he recognized it as belonging to that kit because it had a distinctive pattern. About 20 yards away, he also found the kid's body laying partially buried in the snow. My buddy also said that there was no way that that kid had been dead for any more than a few days, even though he'd been missing for almost three months now. The kid was also curled around something, and when my buddy brushed off the snow to see what it was, he said that he almost couldn't believe what he was seeing. It was a, a big chunk of ice that had been carved crudely to look sort of like a, a person. The kid was holding it so tight that it had frostbitten his chest and hands, which my buddy could tell even with the decay that had taken place. He radioed the rest of the crew and they took the body off the mountain. Now, he recapped all of this for me and to put it simply, there's just no way that this kid could have both survived for almost three months on his own or have gotten to this peak. There was just no physical way that this kid could have walked almost 50 miles and ended up on the top of a fucking mountain. And to top it off, there was nothing in the kid's stomach or colon. Nothing. Not even water. My buddy said that it was like the kid had just been taken off the face of the earth and put in suspended animation and dropped on this mountain months later, only to die of exposure. And he's just never really gotten over that one. The next one that I'm going to share from him was one that took place relatively recently, actually. Only a few months ago. So... They were going out doing a recon for mountain lions because there had been several reports of sightings in the last couple of days. One of our jobs is to scout out the areas where these animals are seen to ensure that if they are in the area that we can warn people and close off those trails. He was out on his own in a very heavily forested part of the park but toward dusk when he heard what sounded like a woman screaming in the distance. Now, as most of you know, when a mountain lion screams... It sounds almost exactly like a woman being brutally murdered. It's unsettling, but far from abnormal. My buddy radioed back and let Ops know that he'd heard one and that he was going to keep going to see if he could figure out where its territory started. He heard the mountain lion scream a couple more times and always from the same spot and determined the approximate area of the mountain lion's territory. He was about to head back when he heard another scream and this time within only a few yards of him. Of course, he freaks out and starts heading back at a much faster pace because the last thing he wants is to run into a fucking mountain lion and get mauled to death. As he got back on the path and started heading back, the screaming followed him and he broke into a jog. When he was about a mile from Ops, the screaming stopped and he turned around to see if it was following him and it was almost night by this point, but he said in the distance, just before the path rounded a corner, he could see what looked like a male figure. He called out to them, warning them that the paths were closed and that he needed to come back to the welcome center. But the figure just stood there and my buddy started to walk over. When he was about 10 yards away, the figure took as he described an impossibly long step toward him and let out the same scream my buddy had been hearing. 
My friend obviously didn't say anything and he just turned and sprinted back to Ops, never looking behind him. By the time that he got back, the screaming had moved back into the woods and he didn't mention it to anyone else. Just said that there was a mountain lion in the area and they would need to close those paths until the animal could be located and moved. So, I'm going to have to unfortunately end it here guys as this has become pretty lengthy again. And uh, I'm going to be actually heading out on a, a yearly training up tomorrow morning, so I'll be gone until early next week at least. I'll be meeting with a lot of former trainers and buddies who work in other areas of the park, and I'll be asking around about any stories that they'd like to share too. I'm actually really glad that you guys have been interested in my stories, and once I'm back from this op, I'll be sure to continue sharing them. So, until next time guys. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.